Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we dive into the European Super League. Why this big move for soccer has ruffled so many feathers. Ryan Brandt, CGOB anchor and one soccer correspondent, will explain it all for us. And we'll also head to Regina, talk to our friend Rob Vanstone about the CFL and the WHL East Bubble. That's all coming up on the podcast. One of the biggest global sporting stories of in a while, I think, broke over the weekend that a Super League was being formed by 12 big European soccer clubs. And we're going to dive into this now with CJOB anchor Ryan Brandt, who's also a correspondent for One Soccer, big soccer fan, knows a lot about the game, and is also my college uh, classmate. Ryan Brandt, welcome to the CJOB Sports Show. Oh, this is uh, finally good to be on the show, Christian, and uh, looking forward to having a few minutes dedicated to footy. Yeah, that's good. You know a lot more about it than I do. That's why I'm having you on here. So it, just, to, I guess, in a nutshell, this announcement, first of all, it it was not a surprise, was it? I mean, there's this is something that's been in t- discussions for, for a long time that I think some European soccer clubs, ones that have a lot of money, feel that maybe they could be getting a bigger cut of the pie from than from breaking away from the current soccer structure. The problem is this is something that has the potential of changing the entire soccer landscape worldwide. So for people that are, have maybe heard about this uh, Super League story, it's basically 12 of the biggest clubs uh, in based in Italy, Spain, and six uh, in the English Premier League wanting to break away from the current format and take their sandbox and go play amongst each other. And uh, I think a lot of this stems from the Champions League becoming as popular as it has, the amount of advertising dollars and broadcast rights deals that go into it. It sounds like these 12 clubs are thinking they could just do something themselves and make all that money for themselves too. And because you just said money a bunch, it's why this is move. Move is basically by many people being looked at as just straight up greed. Yeah, because I think on one hand you've got soccer fans and a lot of and a lot of these people are fans of the clubs involved that feel that this isn't the right move for the game. And you also have the other side of it like UEFA and others with financial interest in the current structure that don't want to lose what they have. So they're upset. The Super League teams are upset that maybe there's going to be some sanctions coming their way and fans are upset because they don't really know how this is all going to play out yet. There is an interesting thing that the the chairman of this proposed Super League, uh, Florentino Perez, who's also the president of Real Madrid, said today, and I thought it was kind of funny, uh, that the Super League would eventually add in some new teams from this current 12 and have a pyramid format for others to join who doesn't love pyramid and uh, finance in the same uh, <laughs> sentence it's always one that can the be uh, turned into a bit of a yeah yeah i'm not gonna say that it's a multi-level soccer marketing scheme maybe <laughs> <laughs> oh man so i mean I've, I've been following all the feedback online and it's almost been universally negative i know rob gale who's the coach of valor he's a big arsenal fan has been for most of his life he hates this and it it looks like the the four or the three of the four teams in the Champions League semifinals that are part of this defection might be booted out of the Champions League semis. That's Real Madrid, Chelsea, and Man City. What happens if that does go ahead? Yeah, that's been one a conversation I saw being had yesterday. Will Paris, the remaining team, uh, just be awarded this year's Champions League title? Now, the Champions League is also looking at doing its own restructuring because I think that a lot of like the only positive I see that comes out of this is I agree that some of these big clubs should be playing each other a lot more often because 
I think if you're trying to attract a bigger audience, and especially as soccer becomes more popular in North America, and especially the growth we're seeing in the United States, to have Manchester United against Barcelona every third week, I think would be something that would attract more eyeballs to the game. But for soccer fans, and you mentioned uh, Rob Gale from Valor and Arsenal being involved, I'm a Tottenham Hotspur fan myself, they're involved in this. And a lot of fans feel that this is kind of taking away from some of the core values that professional soccer has to people that follow the European game. And it turns it into something where this is just lining the pockets of these owners of these super clubs already. So I think that's where people uh, are a little more uh, upset about it, where it's just the owners patting their wallets and not really thinking about what the the trickle-down effect is for the rest of the game. Well, there's already a divide in wealth in soccer, right? If you just take the Premier League, for one, you just look at how much money has gone into Man City over the last decade to transform them into a regular contender. They're running away with the league this year. But you get the odd story of Leicester being the, the surprise champion. And I, I guess one of the issues people have with this is that part of what makes soccer so cool is that anybody can hypothetically win a title in soccer, right? You could have this magical season, rise to the top of the table and make the Champions League, or you you know, there's the relegation format that we're not used to here in North America. So I guess that's what one of the issues, Ryan, is that people in, in the lower level clubs, like if you're a Crystal Palace fan, what do you think when you see this and all the top teams that are already have all the money and best players are trying to defect to their own massive league. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a lot of the fear is that what will be the trickle down effect if this Super League happens and they, they, they've they talked about expanding to maybe 20 teams and you think about the current systems of European soccer, you've got hundreds and hundreds of teams that pl- that pay players professionally that are already taking chunks of advertising and, and TV rights deal dollars. The Premier League's a huge one and it really changes the scope of the financial situation for a team that can stay in the Premier League, avoiding relegation, which is an entertaining you know piece of drama to to watch as a sports fan and the money that is involved in making sure that you can stay up there. But if more money is going towards the teams that are already loaded with cash, what does that mean for the the clubs, the more have not teams and for the players involved? I think there's a lot of real trickle down problems that come from all of the money going towards the 12 richest teams on the planet and not as much money left for, for everyone else. Will player salaries inflate for the big clubs and start to restrict for others? It's it's really difficult because we're so early into this and you, you see a few good ideas that come out of it, but I don't think there's a lot of people other than these owners that are really in favor of this group breaking away and just doing it their own way and kind of leaving everybody else to figure out their own situation. Well, and a club like Arsenal opens himself up to a ton of criticism because they're ninth in the Premier League right now, and all of a sudden they're going into the Super League. It's like, what, you because you can't make it to the Champions League, you're just going to go to your own thing? Man City and Man United right now are 1-2, but then you got Leicester City and West Ham 3-4, and so obviously they're going to take a lot of flack for that. And I think if you're a, you know, a, a soccer I've seen people even that are fans of the teams that are going in that are really upset with with this and thinking I'm you know what if Liverpool goes in for instance I'm you know my fandom is open pick a new team because I just can't stand for this 
Yeah, there's that that has been a kind of a thing that a lot of people have been saying and that it, it changes the way that they're looking at these teams because a, a lot of the the values and the reasons why people were looking and following these teams for years and years and years kind of dates back to a lot of people especially English people who had relatives that that watched these guys back when they were also working other jobs and playing and that the kind of you know fandom that comes from following a team and supporting your neighborhood well now this is just something that's supporting glo- uh, you know ownership groups and and making money is kind of what that ends up becoming and as you mentioned you have a few teams like Arsenal ninth in the Premier League Tottenham seventh in the Premier League Liverpool sixth all not looking at making the Champions League for next season and looking at the fact of we're big clubs we make lots of money people want to watch us why are other teams from other countries that really aren't having the following that we have getting to make that money instead of us. So they just pick up their ball and go and I guess get their, uh, build up their own stadium and go play somewhere else instead of staying at the park with everyone else. Talking with Ryan Brandt, CGOB anchor and soccer expert. We could and maybe make you the soccer correspondent on the show if you're okay with that. <laughs> Love it. And uh, so the, uh, this is kind of being viewed as an alternative, I guess, or an, an enhancement of the Champions League. Why does this need to happen? What changes would you rather see made to the current structure of the Champions League to just make that more feasible for the future? Yeah, I, I actually think that there's room to create something else, but I think it's the the fact of what the Champions League means to a lot of people already. It is very prestigious. It's more prestigious, really, than most of the domestic leagues now. And if you were to ask someone if they had to pick one match a week and that's all they could watch, they'd probably pick some of the, the higher level uh, uh, Champions League ones. I, I think that the problem is because of the way it is set up and it's kind of the diplomatic sense of soccer that you, know, you give everyone a chance. You know, the Champions League starts out much earlier than when we see the big clubs in, you've got teams from the Irish Premier League, the Latvian League, you know, you've got all these kind of smaller countries that get their chance to make their way through. We saw Ajax from uh, the Netherlands go on a bit of a run not too long ago, but that's all, I think that that's good. But at the same time, I do wish that I could see more chances to see Messi play against Tottenham or, you know, see that that kind of a structure and see Juventus going against the English teams and the Italian teams and the Spanish teams going against one another and having Neymar at PSG playing against these ones too. So I think that something should be created that provides more opportunity for us to see the best teams in the world go against each other. But when these teams are doing it solely to just take away money from everyone else, I, I don't, I'm not a fan of that. And it, it kind of leaves me feeling really weird about this whole setup. And we should be clear that it's not like UEFA can take much moral high ground or nor FIFA because, you know, you look at them putting a, a football World Cup in a place where labor laws are, are not strict. There's a lot of uh, <laughs> issues with, with much of, of soccer. And, and it's been, you know, years of years of money imbalance. And I don't know. I guess you just get to the core of what it is to be a fan, right? And in soccer, it, it's something that maybe we can't relate to uh, in a North American sense. If you're not someone said super familiar with, I guess, just the, the community feel to a lot of those soccer clubs in in, Engl- in England for sure, where, you know, you're, even if you're not in the top division, if you're in the in the championship, which is the division below, you know, the relegation battle, I mean, soccer is just everything there. And even at any level, it's, it's such a, you know, again, a community feel. And there is always the potential that you could end up making 
you know, hypothetically, the Champions League, if you are, it's kind of like in college basketball. You're one of 368 teams in Division One basketball. You could hypothetically win the title if you just win all your games, right? And so I guess in that sense, that's something we can relate to. But just at its core, Ryan, I guess it's just it, if you're not a fan of a really rich team, you probably feel really betrayed today. I think that's exactly what it is. I think those that are really hardcore fans of the game and, and what a lot of the, the game kind of has stood for historically, you're a little upset about how this is playing out. But, and I think it also comes with the fact that if the game is trying to attract more people and this is kind of the way it goes in a much more of a North American style of setup, I think there will be people that are going to tune into this no matter what they say. If, if you know you have a chance to watch, you know, Barcelona take on Liverpool on a Wednesday uh, afternoon, you're probably going to turn it on and watch to see what happens. And that's the danger of it. The the players, these clubs have a lot of power. UEFA is going to try and do what they can. We've heard things about sanctions and trying to prevent players from playing in things like the Euros or the World Cup. And who knows if any of that will actually play out. I think there will be lots of legal proceedings that come of this. And while I'm sure they'll take the stance they're doing it to, to save the game, uh, I think that they're just seeing money going out the door and going directly to those teams instead. And finally, Ryan, just before I let you go, you mentioned North America. Liverpool is owned by Fenway Sports Group. Stan Kroenke is involved as well in, in ownership overseas. North American businesses getting involved. Is that part of the impact here? The North Americans who are not used to not being in the best league possible with their team suddenly realize, hey, why, why why do we not get into the Champions League? Why can't we just be in the best league possible? And they're kind of influencing that mindset into this decision. I think that's a really good point. I, I don't know if it's exactly how that plays out, but how would it not, right? If you're an executive and you're you're evaluating how the NFL just prints money and you think, why aren't we doing more things like that to try and to do that? You know, the, the opportunities for more marquee games in soccer is just an obvious way to make more money. It's just uh, I, no one really likes the kind of shady way they're going about it and just kind of moving the goalpost to, to help themselves. But I think there's a big part of that and a bit of an uh, Americanizing of what is going on over in Europe. And it's it's going to bring a lot of people to watch these games. It's probably going to make them a lot of money if it happens. But who knows uh, what it's actually going to look like by the time we get there and if any clubs uh, decide that they don't like this backlash and pull out. We, we don't know anything yet. It's very early on, but it was a huge reaction on mm -hmm. Sunday. And as you mentioned, Christian, I didn't think that we'd see a worse idea for the game than the 2022 World Cup being awarded to Qatar. But here we are in 2021. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people just from a, a North American comparison stance would like to see you know, Packers versus Chiefs more often. Like they'd rather see Barcelona, Man City, and they don't want to see Browns Bengals more. Like they probably don't want to see a Burnley Fulham game. But nonetheless, we will end it on that note. <laughs> Ryan, appreciate your time tonight. Thanks for this, and we'll uh, chat again soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. We will turn our attention to Regina now as we're joined by Rob Vanstone of the Regina Leader Post. Our friend who we have on to talk CFL, and today we're going to talk a bit WHL as well. Rob, how are you doing tonight? Good, thanks, Christian. How are you doing? I'm doing well. You're also an unabashed Winnipeg Jets fan, and uh, just your thoughts as we're in this break for the team. They are 2-5 and five against the Oilers this season. How much does that concern you as a fan? A little bit, um, but I mean, playoffs are such a different uh, animal, and... Uh, you know, we've seen that turn so many times once once the postseason gets here. So um, 
I'm not overly concerned. I think the Jets, by and large, have had a had a really good season. I can take the the last game against Edmonton and pretty much trash it. I think that result was inevitable considering the the stage the Jets were at on that trip. So, uh, I, I I'd like to. I'm looking forward to the playoffs and just press pressing the refresh button and see how seeing how they can doing how can how they can do in a in a series against them. I think that's an entirely different beast. He says he says that was some wishful thinking. Yeah, no, that's good. I always like to get the fan perspective. <laughs> so uh, I thought I'd ask you having you on here. So let's talk hockey in Regina now. The East Bubble is getting close to a close. The news today that the Western Hockey League will not be having any playoffs. Not really a surprise, is it? No, but uh, it's still a little disappointing to to see it uh, tangibly. Um, I've been going to a lot of the games in the bubble, and as soon as we're finished here, I'm heading over there and and uh, for the game tonight. And uh, it's, it's it's something that I've enjoyed, and it just seems like the it's just another another indication that live sports and uh, their brief return to this part of the world is is nearly over. And uh, and uh, I was hoping there'd be maybe like a mini tournament or something at the end, just to bring it to a bit more of a a climax, as opposed to just kind of ending with two games on, on April 28th. Um, it's, it's been really good hockey and something I've really enjoyed. And it's been, a, it's been a tonic, I think, for somebody who just likes to watch and follow and write about sports. There's actually something going on. And once that is over, hmm, who knows how long it'll be because the Canadian Football League is certainly in a, in a state of uncertainty. So uh, if you look at it, I mean, the WHL and, and, and all the credit goes to the teams and everybody involved. They've been able to pull this off in Regina without – knock on wood, any setbacks. There have been some elsewhere in the Western Hockey League, but none in the hub here. And They've got seven teams. and They're in a hub, but it's not an airtight bubble such as the kind that the NHL was able to, to pull off because they don't have the same resources. Yet, so far, uh, not, a, not a blemish, at least in terms of uh, COVID testing. So uh, that's a positive aspect to extract from it, too. I hope it holds up for the remaining week and a bit. Right, and the difference is that the other divisions don't have hubs, right? They're actually traveling, and I think that's been the issue we've seen. Kamloops got, uh, or Kelowna has only played three games this year. We had Tri-City recently shut down as well, down in the U.S. division. In the hub center, as they're calling it, in Regina, Brandon right now in first place with 32 points, Saskatoon at 31, Winnipeg at 29, with uh, four games left for the Wheat Kings and Ice, five left for the Blades. In terms of the quality of those teams, in a regular Western Hockey League season, those three teams, would they be contenders possibly to make the Memorial Cup even? Oh, I think so, especially if you consider, too, there would be a trade deadline and they would be able to fortify those teams. And then those teams have a lot in common in that they all have amazing groups of forwards. Winnipeg is, 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 I think, is it, they're the team that has entertained me the most of, of any that I've seen in the in the hub. Um, granted, Connor Bedard and the Pats, Regina Pats, the 15 year old phenom, was an amazing thing to see. But Winnipeg just keeps rolling out good forwards, excellent forwards, and uh, Peyton Krebs is, is is playing at a, I guess, at the level one would expect him to, considering that he played with the World Juniors in a first round draft choice, etc. But even you look beyond Peyton Krebs and you look at you know, Connor McLennan and, and, and just, he just keeps coming and coming and coming. Just, just terrific forwards right down the line. You know, Owen Peterson, Jacob Smallwood, and, 
Connor Geeky is only 16 years old. What a player he's or he's going to be. What a player he already is, etc. It just uh, I really like watching watching Winnipeg and uh, not just the Jets but the ice as well. I really, really one of the you know the many things that sucked about the pandemic that isn't really important when it comes to sports is the fact that Brandon and Winnipeg were probably going to play in the playoffs last year. And that was the first year of the ice here in Winnipeg. And it would have been so good for that rivalry and for junior hockey in this province to get that juice early on of them having a best of seven because it would have been fantastic. And now you instead you get the fan-free environment of this bubble where if there is no playoffs, you're just going to play and get a division title, I guess, if you win the most, get the most points in your 24 games. But uh, what about the emotion on the ice? Do the players still, I mean, they're competitors. Is it clear that they're still out there to... Uh, given the same effort that they would in a normal environment outside of a bubble with fans in the stands? Yeah, surprisingly so to an extent, uh, Christian. Even the game last night between Regina and Prince Albert was certainly a nasty one, and those teams just didn't like each other. And, uh, um, you know, we've seen flare-ups from time to time, in, in, in uh, you know, comparably. Um, I think, you know, the Brandon and, and, and Winnipeg is just, that's a natural. And there's so many Manitoba players on those teams and you know Brandon has always made a point of drafting the Manitoba players because they think they can extract a little bit more from them because of their investment in in Manitoba and it's not surprising that you see not not only with the with the talent level that both teams exhibit and possess but just the, the proximity I think that's that's contributed to the caliber of games that, that Brandon and Winnipeg have played Brandon has had the upper upper hand but uh, uh, you know yesterday Winnipeg uh, scores late to go up 4-3, Brandon ties it, and then uh, with a goal by Ridley Gregg with a minute and a half left, and then wins it in overtime with a goal by by uh, Braden Schneider. And the game before was a 5-3 game that, that Winnipeg, uh, Brandon had won, but that was one you know, an empty net goal that provided the two-goal margin. That was, that's the best game I've seen, that, that second last Brandon-Winnipeg game. I just loved it. I was just hoping, hoping, hoping for overtime, and then a, an 88-round shootout, because I just wanted to keep watching it. It was wonderful hockey. I just love watching both those teams. Well, let's hope that uh, it carries over into next year. And I don't know Krebs won't be around anymore, and some of the best players in that series won't be there anymore. But you still got Geeky there, and maybe Matt Savoy, and we'll see. But it's it's hopeful that we we get back to normal by the fall, and we can see that junior hockey rivalry really bubble over here in Manitoba. Let's talk CFL. You mentioned that we don't know when the next time there will be live sports for people to see in the Queen City after this is done. And, uh, again, regular folks aren't really allowed to go watch these games. It's it's media that can go and cover, just like here in the in the uh, Winnipeg market for the Jets. But you're th- we haven't, and I talked about this earlier in the show, there hasn't been an update from the CFL, but at the same time, Rob, what can the CFL say right now that would satisfy people? And that's a reasonable question to ask. I think they can at least present a number of scenarios that uh, that they are considering. At least, uh, I mean, for, for example, you look at you look at the XFL situation, and they they announced back in March that they've been having talks with them, and since then they've just they've activated the cone of silence. There's been absolutely nothing, and. I think they've allowed everybody else to control the negative or the narrative part of me and, and speculation has probably gotten out of hand. And 
I think at some point it would it would behoove the, the Canadian Football League to say something just so that they at least have some command of the of the nature of the discussions that are raging publicly because every possibility from A to Z has been uh, bandied about by everybody but the Canadian Football League. So I think in the interest of clarifying things on that front, it would be beneficial for the CFL to do that. As far as the the, the 2021 season or you know, possible lack thereof, I think they'll eventually salvage something, but at least say, okay, this is plan A, this is plan B. Uh, it's not just the media and the, and, the, and the public that are clamoring for this. And if the media is clamoring for it, that's just because we're, we whine a lot sometimes, but uh, the fans are certainly a valuable stakeholder, especially for a gate driven league. And you've seen, there's been many cases of players going on social media, Twitter, and talking about just tell us something like what's going on here. It's what where's where's the transparency? I think just for the sake of being seen, it would be beneficial for the for the league just to say something and give people something something at least they can, they can at least hang their hats on. I realize that 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 uh, COVID is the ultimate dictator here, but there certainly there's some point where where you where they're kicking in certain tiers of a season or certain semblances of a season and. Uh, at least say okay if you know ideally we'd like to start by this date failing that we'd like to start by this date uh, um, last resort we would have to start say labor day weekend at least lay something out because when you look at that and the if this if we're, we're living we were all living in california there'd be a lot more flexibility here but the, ultimately you run into uh, the beautiful manitoba saskatchewan weather that dictates a lot of uh, in alberta that dictates a lot of the timing of the season. So I think you can almost rewind from there and establish some some best case, worst case, and uh, medium range targets. At least give people something. Giving them nothing is 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 especially a league that is supposedly uh, prides itself on being transparent and accessible. It's just it's just a bad look, and it's contrary to what they're they're espousing. Because, again, the CFL can't write anything in pen right now, and that's been the case for most people in the pandemic, can't write anything in pen. But I I guess it comes down to this, Rob, that they put out this XFL, hey, we're just chatting about stuff a few, you know, like a month ago, and then nothing. And so all you've got is a bunch of people online, uh, and this is what happens when you're kind of left alone with your thoughts in an eco chamber. Your mind goes all sorts of places. You don't know what's real and what's not. You're coming up with all these possible speculative scenarios, and no one's told you that they're wrong, so you just keep going with it. Yeah, and the, the, the economic reality of the CFL right now is they might not be able to afford the pen. But <laughs> um, the it's it's you know somebody writes something or says something, and then somebody else reacts to that, and it's like an opinion on top of an opinion on top of an opinion, and before you know it, it's just spiraling out of control and. And at least put some try to put some parameters on the discussion. I realize the discussions are ongoing, but surely by now they must have some idea where this is leading to the extent that they can uh, apprise people of, of something, as opposed to putting out an initial press release that virtually said nothing, and then basically any any questions that arose in the press release were were, were pretty much deflected or dismissed. So. Even when they talked about it, they didn't really give anybody anything concrete. And uh, so now's the time. Uh, now that the federal budget is out, there's a Board of Governors meeting reportedly on Tuesday. That would seem to be an optimal time to 
to speak and update people, and not in generalities, but with as much, with as many specifics as one can realistically uh, hope to uh, hope for them to provide. I'll let you go on this, Rob. The global draft was last week. Finally, something that isn't nothing to talk about. Do you <laughs> feel like the the two point experience with this global draft, and hopefully these guys actually get a chance to to try out? Do you feel like this uh, current better or most recent crop of players will have a better chance to to shine than the previous where it was just basically Tiadric Hansen? Um, I think he'll players of his ilk will continue to be the outliers because there's really no clear defined path for them to play. You know, when there's a, when there's a Canadian draft and people might say that's tokenism, just like the, the, the global draft is tokenism. But when you're drafting Canadians, you know, you have to start at least seven of them and they have to populate your, your special teams to a certain degree. You, you have a certain roster expectation or a certain expectation that, that a number of them are going to be on the, being on, are going to be on the roster. So you're drafting them to stock your team. You're drafting, you know, four globals per team but there's no uh, clearly defined place for them to play so it's kind of now what and uh, kudos to, to michael o'Shea and the bomber staff for actually making use of the of the of the draft when it was held two years ago and it granted it a different form it was a mexican draft and a european draft but um now it's like okay you've added four Amer- four globals but what do you do with them and most coaches are just going to say well we're just going to let them be glorified mannequins. Uh, I wrote a column today saying, why don't you at least make this somewhat practical and interesting by saying one global has got to be on the field at all times. Then it gets really interesting and compelling and meaningful right now. It's like, okay, it's, they're like the parsley on the, uh, on the dinner plate. They're there, but you really don't know what to do with it. And you're certainly not going to feast upon it. No, that would not be a balanced diet, would it? All right, Rob, appreciate your time as always. Thanks for coming on, and hopefully we'll have some real stuff to talk about soon. I I sure hope so. Thanks so much for your time, Christian, and as always, go Jets. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m., of course. That is when the Jets are not playing because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that they should come to this. We try to warn you.